0: Ungodly Alliances. Mr. Whiteley. Thank you, Reggie. See if I can get straightened out here. I had to do some last minute changes uh, with the way I'm going to present this message today. Uh, I have a PowerPoint presentation, and I was planning on having my computer up here with me today, but. Because of some technical difficulties, I'm going to have to do it a little differently. I'm going to have to kind of look back, make sure I'm on the right slide, and hopefully Brian can kind of help keep me up and keep me up to speed. Well, it's good to see everyone here today uh, on God's Sabbath day, and what a blessing it is to be able to once again, week after week, especially on a week like this one where we had all the rain that we needed, and now the sun has come out and it's beautiful weather. The springtime is upon us and we all understand what that means. God's holy days are almost here. Well, today I am going to do something I am not quite accustomed to and you're probably not either. I'm going to do something a little unusual, something I don't usually do, and that is I'm going to talk about one of the most ungodly people in the entire Bible as the primary character of this message. Okay, and this is something that a lot of times we don't wake up on Sabbath morning and think to ourselves, you know, when I go to church today, I want to hear about ungodly people. Okay? It's just not something we're used to. Usually we wake up and we think of, you know, the, 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 the other characters such as the ones that were righteous, the ones that, you know, had humility before God, the one who were humble before God, the one who loved God, loved God's righteousness, the ones who were bold in the Spirit people like David, people like Samuel, Abraham, you know, the big wigs, right? And of course, Jesus Christ. But today, I'm going to change from that a little bit. Okay? And we're going to look at someone, like I said, who is probably one of the most ungodly, idolatrous, wicked and evil persons in all the Bible. And this person is someone I would put in the category of less known Old Testament characters okay the person is obviously you can see on the screen King Ahaz of Judah now many of us because we are very familiar with the Old Testament we promote we preach understanding of the Old Testament. we do not believe that the Old Testament is just for the Jews and that the New Testament is only for Christians. We believe that the entire Bible is the inspired Word of God, right? And this is my justification for it. okay? I don't have this scripture on the PowerPoint, but we all have heard it before. Second Timothy, the third chapter, verse 16 through 17. Paul writes to Timothy and says, "All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness that the man of God may be complete thoroughly equipped for every good work and this includes the life of King Ahaz the character we're going to look at today because I think one of the most unique aspects of the entire Bible is the very fact unlike many other religious texts religious holy books God did not leave out the unrighteous deeds of both righteous men and unrighteous people. But God inspired those just as much as He did the righteous acts to be recorded in the Bible. And something that's extremely unique. God does not show only the positives and the highs of His people. But He shows it all, as it is in reality. And I think that is something that is extremely unique. And it's actually an argument for Christianity's authenticity. And the Bible's authenticity. Because I think just as much as we learn and we're edified by the righteous acts of men, the righteous acts of women, the faithfulness of, of God, and the faithfulness of men towards God, I think we can be just as equally, in some regards, edified by looking and studying the unrighteous acts of men. The unrighteous deeds, the consequences, the decisions, the intentions behind the decisions, the purposes. The internal spiritual turmoil of certain men and certain women and the result that happened because of those purposes. So, today we're going to look at King Ahaz. Okay, and we're going to do this in two parts. Number one, we're going to look at his life, the things that he went through, the problems that he had. We're going to look at him compared to some of the other kings around him. His father and his son were both kings of Judah just like he was but they were righteous but he was one who was unrighteous before the Lord so we're gonna look at all the pitfalls that he did all the things that he was involved in the political issues the troubles his decisions his apostasy his idolatry we're gonna look at all that and then afterwards we're gonna try to glean and infer from his life spiritual principles for us today Spiritual principles that we can learn, lessons that we can learn from this ungodly prophet, King Ahaz. Okay? Make sure this is on here. Uh, Like I said, I might get a little mixed up because I'm, I'm having to do it a little different. I'm going to be having to look back. But the first thing that we need to do today is we need to ask the question, Who is this King Ahaz? Who is this guy, King of Judah? Like I mentioned before, King Ahaz was a king of Judah, and he had a father, King Jotham, that went before him that was righteous before God. Hardly anything in the Bible is recorded negatively about his father. And the same goes for his son. King Ahaz was about 20 years old when he began to reign. He was about 20 years old when he began to reign, and he did it for about 16 years. And this was the year around... 735 B.C., give or take. There's some interesting details about the beginning of his reign that scholars argue about, stuff that we really don't need to concern ourselves with. But he began to reign in not just a crucial time in Judah, but in a crucial time for Israel and Judah. His reign is actually going on when the northern ten tribes of Israel fall to the Assyrian Empire. He was reigning in Judah when this took place. This was about 722 B.C. when uh, the Assyrian Empire swallowed up Israel. Just a background knowledge, just to keep us up to speed, we have to make sure all of us are clear, we understand what's going on in ancient Israel. We know that there was three kings that ruled over Israel when it was a united monarchy. We got Saul the first king, then David, then David's son Solomon. And after that, in the year somewhere around probably 931 B.C., somewhere around that area the nation split into two the nation split into two with the ten northern tribes being the kingdom of Israel and the southern tribe being the kingdom of Judah and one thing that's interesting is that both kingdoms when they were divided had the same amount of kings both of them had 20 but Israel did not have a single righteous king in all its history not a single righteous king in all of Israel's history compared to Judah who had many righteous kings before God. And this is going to be something that's going to be very interesting when we look at the life of King Ahaz because something in the way the Bible introduces this character actually kinds of, kind of tries to compare him not to the kings of Judah, which were many of them righteous, but the kings of Israel, those who were unrighteous. Okay, is it working? Okay, I'm sorry, guys. Like I said, some technical difficulties. Please excuse me. Okay? So, in Second Chronicles, the 28th chapter, Second Kings, the 16th chapter, we're going to get to some of the scriptures. But what it says about Ahaz is that Ahaz did not walk according to his father David, but walked in the ways of the kings of Israel. He walked in the ways of the kings of Israel. Now, you've got to remember, this is very interesting. Because here you have a king of Judah being summarized and compared, his life swallowed up or summarized, capsulated as being like those of the kings of Israel. You have a southern king in the kingdom of Judah making, or making Judah start to perpetuate the same sins that Israel was getting itself in. King Ahaz was going to set a completely different precedent in Judah. He's not going to be like his father's were like David, like his father Jotham, or like even his son Hezekiah. But one of the things that's very interesting here is that his acts is going to have great consequences for the kingdom of Judah. Some of the things that he does, the decisions he does, and a lot of it's going to surround his idolatry, his lack of faith in God, and his, like the title of this message today, his ungodly alliances. His ungodly alliances. So let's turn to 2 Kings 16 and let's pick it up in verse 1. And we're just going to see what 2 Kings has to say, just summarizing as they introduces this character Ahaz to us. This is what the author of 2 Kings has to say. It says right here, "In the 17th year of Pekah, the son of Remaliah, that is the king of Israel currently, Ahaz the son of Jotham, king of Judah began to reign, and Ahaz was 20 years old when the, he became king." And he reigned sixteen years in Jerusalem, and he did not do what was right in the sight of the Lord his God, as his father David had done. But he walked in the way of the kings of Israel. Indeed, he made his son pass through the fire according to the abominations of the nations whom the Lord had cast out before the children of Israel. He sacrificed and burned incense on the high places and on the children of Israel, or on the hills and under every green tree." So, King Ahaz is beginning or perpetuating this great sin. And one of the things he does, which is called the abominations of the nations, is he's passing his kids, passing children through the fire. And this, historically, is known as child sacrifice. Child sacrifice. He made his son pass through the fire. We see this all throughout the Bible in the Old Testament. God before ancient Israel was to Go into the land of Canaan He made sure to tell them Do not follow after the nations And pass your children through the fire And the reason is Is because this was extremely prevalent In the ancient Middle East Ancient Near East This was a cultic ritual in the religious days Of Old Testament Israel That many of the nations did And it it originated Of the pagan god Or deity Moloch The purpose was to try to appease the false deities to secure their protection, to secure their alliance with the God, to try to make sure that, especially before battle, that they would do this so they would secure a victory. And this is what was going on with King Ahaz. Now, this is foreign to me and you. I'm pretty sure that none of us are probably involved in anything like this. I mean, none of us have probably ever passed our child through the fire. We may have thought about it a few times. Might have reached for the matches, but we haven't done it. Okay? So this is kind of strange things going on right here. And obviously, it's detestable in the sight of God. It is something that God calls a part of the abominations of the nations. Okay? Something else he did was he sacrificed and burnt incense on the high places and hills under every green tree. Under every green tree. Now this no doubtly involved idolatry, false worship of paganism, false worship of other gods, and outright idolatry. This is what Judah was now being perpetuated with because of this unrighteous king Ahaz sandwiched in between two righteous kings with his father and his son, but he chose not to go after the ways of David, but to go after the ways of the kings of Israel, which had no righteous kings in it. No righteous kings in it. Now, Ahaz faced great troubles. Ahaz faced great troubles. Okay? It goes without saying that a man like this is going to face a lot of problems. He is supposed to be in charge, the ruler over God's covenant people, the kingdom of Judah. And he's turning them into a nation of abominations. So we're going to look at some of the consequences and the purposes of what King Ahaz went through. What King Ahaz went through. One of the first things we need to realize is we need to get straight three different people groups. Three different people and kingdoms. The reason I wanted to bring this slide in here is because some of these nations is easy to kind of get mixed up. The first one, we need to realize the kingdom of Judah, that's King Ahaz's kingdom. Okay? The kingdom of Judah in the south, below the northern kingdom, the ten tribes of Israel, the kingdom of Israel, which is Pekah's kingdom. Pekah's kingdom. Then to the north of the northern tribes, to the north of the kingdom of Israel, you have Syria. And at this time during Ahaz's reign, at the beginning of it, you have a man named King Rezin, who's ruling over Syria. And the last one, which we must make sure we don't get them mixed up with these two up, Assyria and Syria, you have the growing great empire of the kingdom or the empire of Assyria, which king is Tiglath-Pileser, while King Ahaz began to reign. So those are the three kingdoms that we have to get straight and we have to kind of be able to distinguish from because these three kingdoms are going to play a significant role in King Ahaz's life and a significant role in the decisions that he makes, the decisions that he made. Okay? So the kingdom of Assyria in the north was an empire that was growing very rapidly. So the kingdom, of, this, this Assyrian empire was beginning to become a world power. And because it was becoming a world power, it started becoming a threat. It started becoming a threat to all the nations around uh, Israel, Judah, and Assyria. So, one of the things that we need to look at right here, just to be clear, is to kind of show us where everything is. So you've got the kingdom of Assyria right here, and then you've got the kingdom of Judah right here and then to the north of them you got the kingdom of Israel and then over here you have Syria also sometimes scholars will call Syria a ram right here and this big old empire right here is gaining strength by day and becoming a great threat to all these people groups all these little kingdoms right here so one of the things that was going on is that Israel and Syria joined forces Israel and Syria joined forces to combat this Assyrian threat. Okay? They thought to themselves, you know what? Here's Assyria, this growing empire, let's join up together. Let's get all these people groups, all these small kingdoms together, and join a coalition to resist this big bad wolf, the kingdom of Assyria or the empire of Assyria. But there was one problem. Judah was not following in this coalition. Judah was not following in this coalition, and because of this, because of this, Israel and Syria is going to start putting pressure and try to take over Ahaz in the kingdom of Judah. In Second Kings the sixteenth chapter, Second Kings the sixteenth chapter, verse five and six, it says, "Then Rezin, king of Syria, and Pekah the son of Remaliah, king of Israel, came up to Jerusalem to make war, and they besieged Ahaz, but could not overcome him." And at that time, Rezin, king of Syria, captured Elath for Syria and drove the men of Judah from Elath. Then the Edomites went to Elath and dwelt there to this day. So, you have right here, Syria and Israel joining forces to start putting pressure on Judah. Start putting pressure on Judah. But Ahaz's problems did not start here. His problems did not start here. Rather, his problems continued not only did he have problems from Israel in the north, problems from Syria in the east, now he's gonna start having problems from the Philistines. He's gonna start having problems from the Edomites to the south. So here you have this king who's in a tough spot. King Ahaz has got pressure all around him. Okay? Israel, Syria, They want Ahaz out. They want to go in there, take over Jerusalem, and put their own king in the kingdom of Judah. A king that would do what they wanted them to do. A puppet king. So Ahaz is sweating. And Isaiah is going to tell us this. Okay? Now we need to look at some of the results of Ahaz's problems because, or recorded in 2 Corinthians, the 28th chapter. 2 Corinthians. Or Chronicles, excuse me, the 28th chapter. The first thing is that Syria defeated many parts of Judah and took captive many Judahites to Damascus. That's in verses five and six of First Chronicle or Second Chronicles 28. Another one was Israel under the hand of Pekah killed over 120,000 in Judah in one day. That's a lot of people. I mean, how popular of a king are you going to be that you let this nation come in here and kill 120,000 of your people? Okay, you have a lot of issues going on right here, okay? The third thing is that Ahaz's son, Messusiah, the officer of his house, Azrakam, and Elkanah, who was second command for Ahaz, was killed. But you think about it, how big of a deal could this be for Ahaz? I mean, first of all, another son of his, he passed through the fire. The fourth thing is that Israel took captive 200,000 women, sons and daughters and plunder to the capital of Israel, Samaria. And that's in verse 8. So there's some serious damage going on to the kingdom of Judah by Syria, by Israel, and by all these other ancient rivals like the Philistines and Edomites to ancient Judah. Some serious problems are going on. And it didn't stop there. Judah was attacked by Edom, and many were carried away as captives from Judah. That's in verse 17. And many cities of Judah were taken by Philistines, including Bethshemesh, Shemesh, Ajalon, Gederoth, Soko, Timnah, and Gimzo. A lot of problems. And the Bible tells us why he had these problems. Which is recorded in 2 Chronicles 28 verse 19. That says, For the Lord brought Judah low because of King Ahaz. For he had encouraged moral decline in Judah. And had been continually unfaithful to the Lord. Continually unfaithful to the Lord. So, now we need to ask the question. What was Ahaz's response to these problems going to be? What was he going to do to resist these problems? Who was he going to turn to? Well, he knows the purpose of Syria. He knows the purpose of Israel. They want to usurp him, put someone else in his place. They want to resist that big bad wolf They're in the northeast the empire of Assyria So, and Ahaz's mind he thinks that it's just inevitable Assyria is going to someday probably overtake everybody so he decides that he's going to go a little bit different of a way than what God would have him do. Let's look at Isaiah real quick let's look at Isaiah real quick because Isaiah brings a word to King Ahaz before he makes his decision on what to do with this coming assault of Syria and Israel, Isaiah seven verses one and one through one through two says: Now it came to pass in the days of Ahaz, the son of Jotham, the son of Uzziah, king of Judah, that Rezin king of Syria and Pekah the son of Ramaliah, king of Israel, went up to Jerusalem to make war against it, but it could not prevail against it, and it was told to the house of David saying. Serious forces are deployed in Ephraim, so his heart and the heart of his people were moved as the trees of the woods are moved with the wind. All right, verse 3. Then the Lord said to Isaiah, Go out now to meet Ahaz, you and Sherejashim, your son, at the end of the adequate, from the upper pool on the highway to the fooler's field, and say to him, Take heed to be quiet. Do not fear or be faint-hearted for these two stubs of smoking firebrands, for the fierce anger of Rezin and Syria, and the son of Remaliah, because Syria, Ephraim, and the son of Remaliah have plotted evil against you, saying... Let us go up to Judah or against Judah and trouble it, and let us make a gap in its wall for ourselves and set a king over them, the son of Tabel. Thus says the Lord God, it shall not stand, nor shall it come to pass, for the head of Samaria or excuse me, for the head of Syria is Damascus, and the head of Damascus is Rezin. Within sixty five years Ephraim will be broken. So that will not be a people. The head of Ephraim is Samaria. And the head of Samaria is Ramaliah's son. If you will not believe, surely you shall be established. Surely you shall be established. Okay? So we see that God is telling King Ahaz not to worry about these issues coming before him. To trust in him. He wants wants him to trust in him. God had plans to judge Israel. We know that this took place. Israel is going to be judged. Israel is going to have their day. And Ahaz is being told by Isaiah from the direct word of God to trust in God. Trust in God. Believe in me. Do not fear these people. Do not fear those who are coming after you. Now, of Israel make a big, big hole in Judah? Did it damage Judah? Yes. But it didn't take Jerusalem. It did not take King Ahaz. And much of the reason why there was a lot of problems with King Ahaz and that Judah had to withstand a lot of unnecessary damage was because of what's going to happen next Ahaz's decision. He doesn't care about God. He doesn't care about trusting in God. He doesn't believe Isaiah. He doesn't want to have anything to do with that. But rather, he wants to trust in an ungodly alliance. He wants to trust in an ungodly alliance. And something just to kind of bring out real quick, that even in the midst of Ahaz's sin, even though he was unrighteous, even though he was, you know, called one of the worst kings of all of Judah, someone who was bringing and perpetuating the sins of Israel into the kingdom of Judah, God still had patience. God was still willing to help King Ahaz against these evil forces that were coming at him from Syria and Israel in the north and those other forces that were coming at him in the south. He had all these issues going on around him. And all these things that he was entangled in, all these sins, passing his son through the fire, all this idolatry all around the kingdom of Judah, but he still could have had God's help if he would have just repented and believed in God. God had much patience with King Ahaz. Much patience with King Ahaz. Uh, But he refused, obviously, and we're going to see that here in a minute. He refused. He refused God's help. And the second Kings, the 16th chapter, we're going to read in verses 7 and 9. Second Kings 16, verses 7 and 9 says, So Ahaz sent messengers to Tiglath-Pileser, king of Assyria, saying, I am your servant and your son. Come up and save me from the hand of the king of Syria and from the hand of the king of Israel, who rise up against me. And Ahaz took the silver and gold that was found in the house of the Lord and in the treasuries of the king's house and sent it as a present to the king of Assyria. So the king of Assyria heeded him, for the king of Assyria went up against Damascus and took it, carried its people captive to Ker, and killed Rezin. Now Assyria did do this, but he did not do this just to appease the king of Judah and Ahaz. Look at the consequences that's going to happen. Assyria... Is going to basically rob the house of God because Ahaz is saying, Look, oh, you physical strong empire, come and save me. I don't care about the God of all the universe. I'm going to rely on you. You're the big bad wolf in this big place here. You save me. You save me. So he thinks he's going to outwit, basically. He thinks he's going to outwit King Pekah and Rezin of Syria. And instead of aligning himself with them, hey, I'm just going to go in and align myself with the winner. I'm just going to jump on the bandwagon, you know, the winners, the ones who's probably going to take over uh, all of us anyway. Okay, so Ahaz gave King Tiglath-Pileser tribute to return in return for protection. He literally was saying, "Look, I'll just willingly be a vassal state to you. I'll willingly give you all this gold, all this silver, in the treasury of." of my God's temple, this was a cowardly move, a cowardly move. I mean, can you imagine your king, who's supposed to be the king of your empire, saying, basically giving up and saying, well, we're just going to go over here and be the slave to the big Assyrian empire. Can you imagine that? And how much faith are you going to have in a king that's ruling your empire like that? Probably not very much. And especially since it was done in such an ungodly fashion. And since in su- such an ungodly fashion. Okay. So, right now, Ahaz is aligned with Assyria. Basically, giving all the silver, all the gold to King Tiglath-Pileser, but it didn't start here, he didn't just give him tribute, but he went even further than that, and he actually started looking at Tiglath-Pileser almost like a god, trying to impress him, trying to somehow gain and assure his security, so one of the things that he did, and we're going to look at this from 2 Kings 16, 2 Kings 16, Is that he replaced the altar of God in the fashion and design of a serious pagan altar? Literally, Damascus is where he's going to go. He's going to go up to Damascus after King Tiglath-Pileser is going to put down resin. And he's going to be there and he's going to be probably, you know, thinking, oh, look, I'm with, you know, I'm in, you know, cahoots with, you know, basically, you know, the most dominant, the, the champion, you know, the big powerful empire. And he sees this altar in Damascus and he decides he's going to send plans back to his priest to have it built he's going to start willingly and just you know anything he can do to impress the Syrian the Assyrian Empire he's going to do so he sends back where he has this new altar placed in the house of God this new altar placed in the house of God And he demoted God's altar to a place of secondary importance and used it to practice pagan divination. If you look in there in 2 Kings 16, verse 14, it says that he replaced that altar and he moved the altar, the bronze altar of God, to a different place for his personal use, for his inquiries, is what the Bible says. And you look at that word and you look at some of the background information that he used it for divination. Another, if you look at Deuteronomy 18 verses 9 to the rest of the chapter, another abomination of the nations. Sorcery. Divination. Okay? Another thing he did is he changed several furnishings in the temple. He basically completely decided, you know what? I'm going to come in here and I'm going to move everything around. I'm the king of Judah. I'm going to change all this stuff. I'm going to Actually, I'm going to take away gold from the temple, I'm going to give it to Assyrian, I'm going to do all these things. God never told him to do this, he just did it on his own, on his own power and it was all to impress the Assyrian Empire and to get the favor and security of his foreign ungodly alliance. Second Chronicles 28 also lists a few things. Number one, he sacrificed. He sacrificed to the gods of Damascus. He sacrificed to or shut up the doors of the house of God. He won, you know, probably this was something that the Assyrian emperor, the king of Assyria, wanted him to do. Because if you're, you know a big-time emperor or king. You want to make sure that the people who you govern aren't getting too religious. Because religion, what does that do? If they have their own individual religion, that might in future promote some sense of independence and maybe revolt. So that's what he did. And another thing he did is he set up altars and high places in every city of Judah in honor of foreign gods. In verse 26 in honor of foreign gods. and Ahaz's purpose, all this was done to impress and keep on the good side of of the king of Assyria. And Ahaz would soon die as one of the most apostate kings of all of Judah. Apostate kings of all of Judah. So now let's ask ourselves, what can we infer from this life of King Ahaz? What is it, some spiritual lessons we can learn? You know, it's unusual. We usually don't look at the kings of idolatry when we go to church, like I said in the introduction. But there are many spiritual things that we can learn. One of them is is that God demands our total devotion. God is not concerned with you being devoted to Him. He's concerned with you being fully devoted to Him. Number two, trusting in foreign alliances and not God leads from our relationship with God. Trusting in foreign alliances and not God leads from our relationship with God. And we have to ask ourselves, who's our Syria-Israel alliance? Maybe it's debt. Maybe it's someone we work with. Maybe it's spiritual oppression. Maybe it's ourselves. Not thinking like we're adequate. We have to ask ourselves, in our life, What is coming at us? And who is our Assyrian alliance? Who are we tempted to try to align with? Flesh and blood? Just relying on ourselves? Seeking help from ungodly measures? We have to try to identify this. Another thing that we have to remember is that God is patient, but His judgment is sure. God is patient, but his judgment is sure. And we see this with King Ahaz, because look at all the unrighteousness that he did, and God was still willing to help him. And he did, because it wasn't Judah's time to go into captivity. But his judgment was still there, prodding Judah. Judah because of King Ahaz. And we see that with the consequences of, of what happened with all the people that were taken into captivity or captive and, and murdered. And the last thing is, our sinful decisions can have a negative consequence on those around us. And that's something we have to remember. Especially us leaders. Any kind of leadership capacity we have. Whether it be ministers, and that's what everyone thinks about. It can be parents. We've got to remember that our decisions, our lifestyles, our Conduct can actually have negative consequences on those around us, especially those who are in, in subordinate roles to us, or subordinate roles. Like, for instance, our children. Okay? Or if you're you know, a supervisor at work, You know, someone who is under you. You have to remember that. We have to remember that. In closing, brethren, I'd just like us to leave here today to think about these principles, these things that we can think about and try to glean... Spiritual principles from this ungodly alliance and this ungodly king, King Ahaz of Judah. And ask ourselves, who's our Assyrian empire? You know, who are we prone to try to align ourselves with instead of asking the help of God? What things out there competes for our total devotion to God? Obviously, we probably don't have, you you know, high places or, you know, literal, physical idols in our closet... Maybe there's a lot of spiritual idols that we're involved in. We have to identify those. And we have to ask ourselves, is God our only God? Is God and God alone our Lord over our life? These are the things that we have to think about. As we look at ungodly kings such as those, as King Ahaz, and glean spiritual principles to try to identify some of the things we can learn from some of these Men that are still recorded for us in Scripture to try to help identify some of their pitfalls and the consequences and try to put those in our lives and remember. Remember those pitfalls because of the decisions that we make.